We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for the season of Advent. Thank you for those gathered here in the name of Jesus. Bless your word to our hearts tonight and every day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at a rather obscure figure in the scriptures, uh, Melchizedek, and there's not a lot known about him, but I think it's important to discuss him, and it's important primarily because of his connection to Jesus. And you'll notice if you pay attention to the messages, and I hope you do, um, the focus really is not Melchizedek. The focus is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, it reminds me of a Christian funeral when we gather not really to celebrate so much the deceased, but Christ who worked through and for that deceased individual. It reminds me of what Mary said in the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. At a Christian funeral and in any Christian worship service like this evening, the focus is Christ. Now we may talk about Melchizedek, we may talk about the deceased at a funeral, but only to point the worshipers, the people in attendance, to the Christ who lived and died for the deceased, for the Virgin Mary, for you and for me. So what's important about Melchizedek is not Melchizedek, but his connection to Jesus. And by the way, that's what's important about you and me eternally is our connection to Christ. So, Roman number one, in your sermon outline on page nine, Melchizedek, what do we know about him? This is kind of review, and, and these are fill-in-the-blank questions for you. I'm going to ask you now. He was a Canaanite or a Gentile, and there's two answers here. What was he according to our text for tonight, according to Genesis 14? He's priest and king. He combines those two offices in one person. And there's only one other person in Scripture who does that, and that is Christ. Jesus Christ is both priest and king. He's the ultimate prophet as well. He combines all three offices, but that's another story. Uh, question B, in an increasingly polytheistic world, that means many gods, he preserved, Melchizedek preserved the original religion of humanity, and the, the original religion of humanity was monotheism, right? The belief in one true God. Now, Bible critics, as I pointed out, believe that polytheism was the original religion of humanity, and eventually they evolved to monotheistic faith. Um, but the scripture teaches just the opposite. Adam was a monotheist, believed in the one true God. Noah, uh, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on were all monotheists. But eventually the world devolved into polytheism. But Melchizedek was one individual, one of the few who preserved that original monotheistic faith of which we are the inheritors. And then question C. Why does Melchizedek symbolize the eternal priesthood of Christ? Anybody remember? We covered this last time. 
according to our text for tonight from Hebrews 7, verse 3, Melchizedek is without, yeah, without a genealogy, right? He's without father, without mother, without a genealogy. In fact, he's the only major figure in the book of Genesis that does not have a genealogy, and nowhere is his death recorded. And so you get this idea, he reminds you then, I'm not saying he's eternal, he's not, but he reminds you of an eternal figure, okay? Someone like the Son of God himself, without beginning, without end. That's his symbolic significance for us. He reminds us of Christ in that sense. So, we're looking at the book of Hebrews this evening. And Roman numeral two, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. What we get from the context of the, of, of the book, it's written to Jewish Christians who are beginning to step back from their Christian faith. You know why? Because in the Roman Empire, Judaism was a legal religion. You could not persecute someone for being Jewish. But you could persecute them for being Christian. And the first Christians were Jews. So they are Jewish Christians. They've got a foot in both camps. And so when the heat is on, when the empire begins to persecute Christianity because it's an easy thing to do and you've got to have somebody to be a scapegoat for all your mistakes, you blame the Christians and what are the Jewish Christians, as opposed to the Gentile Christians, what are the Jewish Christians tempted to do? They are tempted to step back from the Christian worship services, to not frequent those places where the Christians gather, maybe just hang out with their Jewish friends or don't go anywhere on the weekend. Okay, that's what's happening. And so, Roman numeral two, the book of Hebrews argues for the superiority of Christ and Christian worship. It argues for the superiority of Christ to, and you answer this for me now, a multiple choice, angels, B, Moses, C, the Levitical priesthood, that's the Old Testament priesthood, or all of the above. Which would it be? All of the above, right, okay, it's easy peasy, yeah. So the book of Hebrews begins talking about the superiority of Christ over the angels, then it gets to over Moses, and then finally in our text this evening, over the Levitical priesthood. And I wanted, want you to take a look on page seven. This is Hebrews seven, beginning at verse 11, just above the middle of the page. Hebrews 7, 11. Now if perfection, and we'll talk about perfection in a moment. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for in it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? We read about that last week. Psalm 110, verse 4. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's what God spoke to the Messiah, Christ, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. For where there is a change in priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. So God makes a change in the priesthood. One is coming to an end, another is coming to the fore, 
That's the Melchizedekian priesthood. So back on page 9, your outline, Roman numeral 3, a change in the priesthood was needed based on the Melchizedekian model. Try saying Melchizedekian. That's a, your tongue is really doing a lot of things. Okay. So letter A, let's contrast these two priesthoods. The temporary Levitical priesthood, it's temporary. I mean, it doesn't exist now. Point number one, it was constantly interrupted by death. One high priest would die, another would take his place. And you didn't know who that high priest was going to be. It could be somebody who was very competent. It could be a, it could be a scoundrel. You never knew. And there were plenty of scoundrels, just like the popes. There's some that are good, or better than others at least, and some are real scoundrels. You don't know who's going to be there. And so you had this discontinuity, these ups and downs with the priesthood. Sometimes there, were, there was competent leadership, sometimes not so much. It's constantly interrupted by death. So there's discontinuity, constant turnover, and you never know who's going to occupy that office. It's like the presidency here in this country, you know. I mean, you may have one president who institutes a series of reforms or directives, and he's followed by somebody who just undoes it all. Okay, so this is, this is what happens. Point number two, this Levitical priesthood could not perfect or complete the worshiper. It could not perfect or complete the worshiper. Now, the Greek word here for perfect, which is used in Hebrews 7 and in Hebrews 10, the word telos means to bring you to a goal, to bring you to the, the place that God has for you. That's perfection. It's not that you stop sinning all of a sudden. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being brought to the goal that God has in mind for you. And, and that goal can be described in this way. Number one, a clear conscience. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. A clear conscience based on the forgiveness of sins in Christ. That's part of your perfection. You can stand before God with a clear conscience. And the other part of that perfection is this. You stand before God. You enter the most holy place of heaven. Not when you die, not just then, but even now. You stand before God. That's the goal. To cleanse your conscience so that you can stand in God's presence. And that's not just a future reality. It's a present reality according to Hebrews. So the Levitical priesthood could not perfect you in that way. Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove sins. All of those animal sacrifices were symbolic of the one sacrifice that would remove sin. It looked ahead to the Christ and to his self-sacrifice. And then I think on page 8, a reading from Hebrews 10, verse 11, the very first verse. Every priest stands daily at his service, this is the Levitical priesthood, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
The fact that they're offered again and again and again without end means that they're not effective. They don't do the job. If they did the job, they would, be, they would cease. And point number three, the Levitical priesthood provided limited access to the earthly tabernacle. Limited access only. The Levitical priesthood, it's, the whole point of it was to keep you at a distance from God. Okay? God caused his name to dwell at the tabernacle. He drew near in that sense, but there was also distance. There were boundaries. If you crossed, if you were a lay person and you crossed one of those boundaries, you were subject to death. You were kept at a distance. The tabernacle, according to the book of Hebrews, and this is Hebrews 8.5, I reference it there for you. The tabernacle, we're told, was only a copy and a shadow of the heavenly reality. It's a copy and a shadow of God's throne room. Okay. Reminds me, when I was uh, a little boy, one of my friends for Christmas got a one of these toy gas stations, like a service station. It was metal and looked really cool. It had little cars with it and a little lift for the car, you know, you could work on the car and, and a parking area on top of the uh, gas station. It was not a real gas station. It's a model of a gas station. And the tabernacle in the Old Testament it's kind of like an architectural model of God's throne, his throne room in heaven. It's a model. That's what it is. Now, you had to take it seriously, because even a model, if you transgress the boundary, if you're not authorized to be in a certain spot in that area, you could die. It's serious business. But it's a model. That's the point. The Levitical priests served a model of the real deal. They didn't serve the real deal. That's reserved for you and me. So it provided limited access to the earthly tabernacle only, not the heavenly tabernacle. Now letter B, contrast all of that with the eternal Melchizedekian priesthood of Christ the eternal priesthood of Christ. Point number one, Christ's priesthood provides permanence and continuity in administration. I mean, he makes promises all over the place, especially with regard to things like baptism. And he keeps the promise. Your conscience is cleansed. Your sins are forgiven. You are able now to stand before God, not just a model, but God himself. Point number two, it provides a clean conscience and saves to the uttermost. It saves to the uttermost. This priesthood of Jesus. And point number three, it provides unfettered, or I guess one could say unrestricted access to God in heaven. And I, and I, I direct you to page eight, the reading from Hebrews 10 
beginning at verse 19. Well, maybe verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, meaning sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's complete. It's done. It's perfected. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, where where would that be? Where are the holy places? It's not the model. It's not the tabernacle. It's not the temple. It's heaven itself. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, our salvation, our access to heaven, even today, is accomplished by the flesh of Christ. The curtain that would divide the most holy place from the holy place in the tabernacle, that curtain was a boundary. The real boundary between you and God is the flesh of Jesus. And that, that boundary, that flesh of Christ, is now your access to the most holy place of all, which is heaven itself, the throne room of God. Not a model, but the real thing. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now that's present tense. That means right now. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. It's not speaking of the future, but of the here and now. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, there's a clean conscience now. And our bodies washed with pure water. That's another reference to baptism. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, not abandoning it. Which the hearers of this message are bound to do because they're being pressured for their Christian faith. There's a temptation to step away from the Christianity part. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I think it's interesting that the exhortation to meet together is in the context of entering the most holy places, which is heaven itself. Now that's not to say, it's very entirely possible that you can enter the most holy place in heaven in your own private prayer closet. That could be. But the promise here, the association is with the gathering of God's people. When we gather together, I know for certain we enter the most holy places. That's the context in which that entrance, that presence of God occurs. Jesus said, where two or more gather in my name, there I am. That's his promise. I'm not saying it can't happen on your own. I'm just saying I know what happens here and elsewhere where people gather. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I would say to you gathered here, and also if you're following us online, you encourage me when you're here. It, it fills my sails when I see you. When you're not here, I know you're not here, 
and I miss you. And it just sort of pulls me down a little because part of the family is not present at the Lord's table. So think about it. Let us encourage one another and not neglect meeting together because when we meet together we have the promise that we enter the most holy places, not an architectural model of anything, but the reality of God's presence. That's the unlimited access that we have to God through the flesh of Christ. And then finally, point number four. The eternal Melchizedekian priesthood of Christ makes all of us priests of God. We're all priests of God through our baptism into Christ. And I cite 1 Peter 2. There's other passages, but Peter writes, You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. That's the priesthood of all believers. You know, the Levitical priesthood was limited to certain men, men who were qualified, not just any man, but men who were qualified, who had the right parentage. It was a a class-oriented kind of a thing. But this Melchizedekian priesthood, the, the Christian priesthood of all believers, cuts across all these classes and all these divisions that we make among ourselves. Doesn't matter whether you're male or female, young or old, rich or poor, clergy or lay. We're all priests of God. We all enter the most holy place of all through faith in Jesus Christ as a result of his work in our lives through baptism. That's his promise. That's the unfettered access we have to him. What a privilege. What a privilege. The Levitical priesthood was limited to an earthly tabernacle. Ours is not. Our priesthood is inclusive of all who believe, and it allows unlimited access to God and to heaven through the flesh of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of him, it's because of what he did on the cross and at the empty tomb that guarantees our presence before God with a clear conscience for every single one of us. These are the promises we have. This is what Melchizedek merely symbolizes. This is what Christ fulfills. A priesthood that predates the Levitical one. I think the order of Aaron, that priesthood started around 1500 BC. When did Melchizedek live? 500 years before, 2000 BC. The first mention of any priesthood at all in the Bible Genesis 14 is that of Melchizedek. That predates the Levitical priesthood, and it becomes the symbol for the priesthood of Christ and for the priesthood that we have a privilege to share. In Jesus' name, amen.